Welcome back to The Health Beats, a podcast created by medical students that takes the current pulse of news stories featuring public health and medical issues. I'm Allie Burgess. And I'm Neha Anan. In today's episode, I talk with my fellow medical student and good friend, Sahana Jayaraman, about the epidemic of loneliness as a public health issue, especially in the context of the pandemic. Loneliness is a universal thing that people experience. Loneliness did exist before COVID, but obviously COVID has exacerbated the effects of loneliness in many ways. Patients in the hospital may be experiencing loneliness and that can really impact their physical recovery as well. But first, let's discuss some big news. President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris were sworn into office just under a week ago. A very exciting time. Unsurprisingly, much of Biden's plans for the first 100 days are focused on the public health crisis and economic crisis that have been caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. On the day this podcast was recorded, Sunday, January 24th, the U.S. had given 20.5 million doses with 6.2 doses per 100 people vaccinated. This is up from 0.3% of people vaccinated just one month ago. We need around 70 to 80% of Americans to be vaccinated to reach herd immunity, meaning to get to a point where we're not really concerned about the spread of COVID-19 from person to person as much. And so that's at least 245 million Americans that need to be vaccinated. The Biden administration has said that they aim to give 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days of uh, Biden's term. So that's about 1 million doses per day. And with two doses per person with the current vaccines that have been authorized, that's about 50 million people total getting vaccinated. At this rate, even if new vaccines were to be introduced from manufacturers like Johnson Johnson or Oxford and AstraZeneca, it could be the late fall or even as late as 2022 until we reach herd immunity. And so for that reason, there are a lot of people who are pushing for this rollout to be even faster. We need to give about two to three million doses per day rather than one million to have most people vaccinated by the summer. So it seems that Biden's administration is setting this very achievable goal of one million per day, but we'll have to see if this push actually gets there to be even more vaccinations out. And just as a reminder, for those who have gotten the vaccine, the studies have only shown that these vaccines prevent against the symptoms of COVID, but not a transmission of COVID. So you could still potentially, as far as we know, pass on COVID asymptomatically to people. And so you should still continue doing all the public health measures, such as masking, social distancing, and good hand hygiene that you would be doing otherwise, even if you've gotten the vaccine. Yeah, that's a great reminder, Neha. So since being sworn into office, Biden has signed several executive orders that are obviously relevant to the pandemic and the nation's health overall. Let's start discussing them one by one. One of them establishes the pandemic testing board that is aimed to ramp up testing supplies, lab space for testing, and overall surveillance of cases. And then we also invoke the Defense Production Act to increase the manufacturing of personal protective equipment as well. And speaking of PPE, one order required that masks on federal property and interstate travel at airports are now in effect. And this includes planes, buses, and trains. 
Yeah, and he also signed an order that would require international travelers to obtain negative tests before they uh, arrive in the U.S. And then they also have to comply with CDC quarantine rules as well. So this is to try to mitigate global spread. And that's especially pertinent now with new strains being reported globally. Another measure that's put in place is an order for better data collection systems from the Department of Health and Human Services. And in particular, this would help with data and statistics that we have on cases and the spread of the disease. In addition, Biden placed an order to establish a health equity task force, which is really critical due to the inequitable effects of the virus on different populations we have. And this includes allocated funding for equitable care and testing, and also research that investigates the needs based on race, ethnicity, geography, and disability. That's a really important piece to combating this pandemic. And he also signed an order that asked the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, to establish clear guidance for the safety of workers during the pandemic, and also asked the Department of Education, as well as the Department of Health and Human Services, to establish very clear guidelines about opening schools safely, as that has been a very controversial issue during the pandemic. Yeah, and I think that'll be interesting to see how the guidelines for safety change as more people in the United States become vaccinated. One additional piece in these executive orders is ordering the NIH and the Department of Health and Human Services to create a plan to support study of new drugs for COVID with emphasis on randomized controlled trials. So this will ensure that a lot of the therapies and drugs that have been proposed will have data backing their usage. There are also a lot of orders that relate to the economic impacts of the pandemic. One order asked the Agricultural Department to increase the COVID-19 food assistance program by 15%. And this program provides nutritional assistance to families with children who would normally receive free or reduced price lunches at school when schools were in person. Yes, this is definitely important at this time because hunger is very prevalent in the U.S. and globally during the pandemic as we see the effects of unemployment and all of the problems stemming from COVID. So the order also expands food stamps authorized by Congress to include those at the lowest income levels and could potentially provide a family with three children with more than $50 in extra benefits each month. And speaking of money, the Biden administration is pushing for an extra $1,400 in stimulus checks. All of these actions taken by the Biden administration seem to be a step in the right direction in acknowledging the public health crisis that we currently are in and using science and evidence to establish policies in the right direction. It may be some time before we see the impacts of these actions, so we still need to be vigilant about taking precautions, like Neha said, as we continue to weather through this pandemic together. Knowing that it may still be a while until we're able to go back to some sense of normalcy and having the experiences of last year, many may have been feeling very lonely, may continue to feel lonely, And so that's what inspired Hannah and I to discuss loneliness as an epidemic and a public health issue. 
So let's now go to my conversation with Sahana and we'll discuss the impact of loneliness and what you can do to combat it for yourself, for patients, and for others. Hi everyone, this is Neha again. And I'm Sahana Jayaraman. Today we're gonna talk about loneliness and why it's considered a public health issue. Today's topic was inspired by both of us recently reading the book called Together by Dr. Vivek Murthy. He was the Surgeon General from 2014 to 2017 and will be returning to that role during Biden's administration. So this book discusses the epidemic of loneliness, which has been thought now to be a major public health issue, and it also provides strategies for how we can combat this epidemic. Let's first go over the definition of loneliness. So loneliness, you may think of as being physically alone or apart from other people, but it can also be defined in other ways of generally feeling isolated, such as a feeling like you may not belong with a group of people. And so in this way, loneliness is more of a subjective feeling. I thought it was interesting that Murthy distinguishes loneliness from mental health issues because people may often think they come together and though they can be intertwined, Loneliness can occur even without a mental health issue. And then he also distinguishes loneliness from solitude, which the sense I got from the book was solitude is more of a sense of being at peace while you're alone, like monks might choose to go into solitude. And so it's more of being at peace with being alone. But loneliness is a subjective feeling of feeling isolated. And it impacts a lot of people. We did a little more research into some stats about loneliness, and it definitely is a universal experience. So from this Time magazine survey in 2019, loneliness was found to impact all generations in terms of age, and it appears Gen Z had the highest rates of loneliness. But for all the groups by generation, income, living status, and gender, more than 50% reported being lonely in 2019. Research has suggested that loneliness can impact some people more than others. Those in immigrant communities or in LGBT communities may experience loneliness more often. For immigrants, this may be due to stressors such as language barriers or differences in community and family dynamics. For LGBT communities, this may be due to stigma and discrimination they, they face, as well as barriers to care. The research about immigrants and LGBT populations came from the CDC website, but there's also the HRSA government website that has pages dedicated to the epidemic of loneliness. And so it definitely is on major public health groups radars in this country. And the reason that these government websites and researchers are getting more interested in loneliness as an epidemic is because there's a bunch of health risks that have been associated with loneliness. According to this report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, that was just published in 2020, social isolation was associated with an increased risk of premature death and associated with a 50% increase in the risk of dementia. Loneliness can have associations with higher rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. And in addition, loneliness can also lead people to have increased self-criticism, which also can exacerbate these other aspects of mental health. So there's definitely a lot of interconnection between loneliness and aspects of mental health, although, again, they're not directly the same ideas. And Dr. Murthy in his book also noted a study where social isolation rather than physical pain 
affected students' intellectual reasoning and logic, which I thought was also interesting related to thinking about mental health because this is another sort of mental consequence of social isolation. Now that we've set the stage for loneliness in general, what causes loneliness? So in his book, he takes a deep dive, but to summarize, basically, it's multifactorial. So it could be loneliness could be due to societal shift of living farther away from family or friends. It could be due to the culture that people are brought up in. It could also be related to social media and how prevalent that is these days, although it can bring people together. It's a double-edged sword in that it can also have isolating effects. And that might be why we may be seeing higher rates of the younger generation, Gen Z, reporting higher rates of loneliness. One point that I really like that he brought up in the book and I mentioned earlier is that loneliness is a subjective feeling. So the threshold for somebody feeling loneliness differs for each person. Somebody might feel lonely by being physically far away from others, but people can even feel lonely when surrounded by people. And I think that's also related to not feeling like you belong in a group. So if you're surrounded by lots of people, if you don't feel like you're able to connect with them on some level, that can lead to you feeling lonely. And so loneliness did exist before COVID, but obviously COVID has exacerbated the effects of loneliness in many ways. So measures such as lockdowns and physical distancing, wearing masks can make people feel socially isolated. And The wearing masks actually reminds me how beneficial it is to see people's facial expressions and how that can make you feel less lonely when you're having a conversation with them, just the nonverbal cues you're getting. So I think even if you are occasionally able to see people during the COVID pandemic, wearing the masks can still cause you to feel lonely, even being with other people. So during the pandemic, about 70% of people from another Time Magazine survey reported feeling even more lonely during the pandemic. Since the start of the pandemic, there have been so many journal articles and perspective pieces that have been published on the topic of the the pandemic and how it's driving loneliness and how you may experience the the consequences of this large-scale social isolation that people are feeling. We definitely have also had our own experiences with loneliness during this pandemic. I've been grateful that I've been living with my parents and my my grandma for most of this this time, but I do still feel the loneliness of not seeing my friends or other classmates. Medical school can be a very social environment, especially at the beginning when you're getting to know everybody, though I definitely did feel times of being surrounded by my classmates at like a huge house party, but still feeling a little lonely. But on the flip side now, I think having not seen many of my friends in person, though it's very nice to connect over Zoom, that can definitely contribute to feelings of loneliness. Yeah. And I think just going from being surrounded by people all the time, whether in like a school setting or a work setting, especially for me, that stark shift from even just saying good morning to someone in the hallway to not really getting that during the pandemic. I think that's made me reach out to people a lot more, even though it's virtually, but I FaceTime my parents much more than I did pre-pandemic and just trying to connect with people a lot more virtually. And I think even though I still felt like a lot of my social support system was maintained and that I had a lot of people to reach out to during the pandemic. Definitely just all the little interactions that I wasn't getting has definitely taken a toll over the course of 2020. 
But I think also I'm finding that I am slowly able to readjust how I experience interactions with other people, even though it's been hard. I think for me, it comes and goes. I feel like I've been able to adapt pretty well, but then occasionally it'll the feelings of loneliness do come back. Yeah, it's definitely very cyclical. Like some days you just feel like it hits you more than other days. So since Neha and I are both medical students, we also wanted to discuss loneliness specifically in the hospital setting. There can be a lot of stigma associated with having an illness and being in the hospital. And so that can also cause people to lose their support system, especially if some friends and family might not know how to appropriately reach out or worry about how they're reaching out to hospitalized patients. It can cause those patients to feel like they have less support if they're losing contact with people they used to have more regularly. And this obviously has been exacerbated due to COVID because of restrictions on visitors and things like that. Even patients who are at the end of their life, they may not be able to have their loved ones around them while they have their last moments. And that could drive loneliness for both the patients, but also for their families and their friends who are not able to be physically with them. I also read a few articles that talk about the experiences of loneliness that healthcare workers themselves might have in the hospital due to these new experiences, taking care of some very sick patients with COVID. And like you said, with the masks, you're not really able to read people's body language. You're not also able to give patients the same amount of comfort with your own body language as well. So healthcare workers may also be having this kind of isolating experience during the pandemic. I've also been reading about healthcare workers are experiencing increases in mental health issues like anxiety or depression that they may not have experienced before just because of the emotional toll of taking care of so many patients. And those emotions can also exacerbate loneliness or loneliness can exacerbate those emotions as well, as we mentioned earlier. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Sort of everyone I think is going through something similar related to loneliness, regardless of the context that they're in due to COVID. And I think the idea of it being a universal experience has also helped me in some ways, knowing that even though sometimes I feel like no one else is going through the same things, when I take the effort to reach out to people, I do realize everyone is experiencing some aspect of this, especially recently. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And you bring up a way of how we can try to combat loneliness, especially during this time. And that starts with destigmatizing loneliness. People may tend to hide their loneliness due to feeling ashamed of it. And like you said, just reaching out to people and realizing everybody has had those similar feelings can go a long way. And Dr. Murthy talks about this in the book that loneliness has evolutionary roots in that it it gets us to seek out the support of others. So loneliness evolved for a reason, and it's not necessarily wrong or bad to feel that way. Recognizing that is a really good first step. Yeah, for sure. And I think applying a motto of kindness was something else that he brought up in the book. Kindness towards others can help them feel less lonely. And so he gave an example of a town where one of the leaders wanted to lead all the policy ideas with the motto of kindness. Related to that, they came up with a solution where they would engage police officers to enter people into treatment instead of arresting them for substance abuse. I think that also is helpful in multiple ways. If you stem all your interactions with kindness and compassion for others, it can help create 
better solutions for other public health issues as well. I remember reading that and thinking that was a really interesting perspective that we could probably infuse into a lot more um, of our policies and yeah, definitely actions. Speaking of individual actions, like we've said, just reaching out to your friends, your family to check in on them during these times. Sahana and I have calls every couple of weeks. And yeah. <laughs> it lasts maybe a few hours. Yeah. Um, that's definitely been helpful. And I think having the regularity of that has been really helpful to keep in touch. Definitely. Technology can also be applied in the hospital for patients. Some hospitals are starting to do this using technology like iPads to connect patients with loved ones and also connect them with spiritual care if they need. Speaking of being in the hospital, I was reminded of residents and attendings telling us as medical students that as students, we really have the time to get to know patients. And I used to think of that mostly in terms of listening to them fully and getting to know their story and talking with them. I think after reading this book, patients in the hospital may be experiencing loneliness and that can really impact their physical recovery as well. So as a student, even if we're just able to provide them company, whether or not we're talking to them, I think will help motivate a lot of my future interactions. And then a couple other solutions he talks about in the book, encouraging people to contribute acts of service in whatever way that may be. So when you're helping others, it can make you feel a lot less lonely as well, because you're providing a sense of community for someone else. And related to that, encouraging people to find group hobby activities. So again, these activities don't have to be things that involve talking, but just joining a running group or in the book, he gave an example of a woodworking class where a bunch of people would go and they wouldn't really talk, but just being in the presence of other people and doing an activity that you realize you all enjoy can help combat loneliness a lot as well. Those are great suggestions. I think as medical students, we also wonder what can be done in a clinical setting because there's such a shift now to treating loneliness as a public health issue. There are actually measures that clinicians can use to assess for loneliness in their patients. There's the Berkman SIME Social Network Index that measures social isolation and the UCLA Loneliness Scale, which measures loneliness in patients. So clinicians can play a role in addressing the loneliness of their patients and connect them with resources in the community, like what you were saying, whether to help with acts of service or to get into group hobby activities, those could be potential resources as well as, of course, mental health resources that they they think they may need. It's really interesting that there's a shift now treating loneliness as a public health issue, both on this large scale, but also on this individual doctor to patient scale as well. Yeah. And I think these are great, even though it's being brought to the forefront more as a public health issue. I think it's still not necessarily incorporated regularly into clinical practice, but I think these sort of measures are good to talk to patients about more because again, it could greatly impact their physical recovery as well. So even just finding a way to provide them a little more social support can help provide better care for patients. And if you're a patient yourself, hearing this information you should know that loneliness is something that you can talk to your physician about and ask for their help related to it. We want to emphasize that social support is a key driver of our health and well-being. And again, loneliness is a universal thing that people experience, but there are different ways to address it. And I think the, the best way is 
finding ways to be together with other people, which is the title of Vivek Murthy's book. And so if you find this topic interesting, we encourage you to read it. And I think reading it did also help me understand what I was going through better during a lot of 2020. So definitely check it out. And I read this book because Sahana recommended it to me. So it also shows the power of spreading the word and raising awareness about this issue as well. Yeah, I also wanted to give a shout out to the Fake Doctors Real Friends podcast, which for those of you who are Scrubs fans, Zach Braff and Donald Faison do a recap of Scrubs episodes with each other. And I thought it was really fun because it's two best friends like hanging out, talking about something that they enjoy together. And so that actually inspired me to do a podcast episode with Neha. So I wanted to give a shout out because that podcast has brought me a lot of joy as well during this pandemic. Um, And it led to an inspiration for this. Yeah, I I think I checked it out after you. (laughs) (laughs) You're just recommending everything to me. And it's definitely very fun to listen to to those two actors, especially as a big Scopes fan. So thank you all for listening to our episode. We'll post links to various resources as well in the episode description if yeah. you're interested in learning more about this topic. Thanks for having me. Anytime. <laughs>